from Tess Cope to the show. How easy did you find it to ask for help when you need it? Very difficult. Um, and that's being really frank and honest. Mm. Tess has got her together. I can't possibly go to her. That's not the kind of leader I want to be. I'm a massive believer in if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. What do you think we can learn from Tess back then to bring into our now to have more of that polite audacity? Not let that internal noise, that narrative, that little voice that goes, who are you to knock on that door? Do you know what? I want to bring some of her yeah, back. Definitely. And I got into the Commonwealth Games kind of squad. and So the discipline, definitely, because you kind of have to get yourself back on track really quickly. And when that's in your DNA, okay, I didn't win that race. Or I came second and I thought I was going to get a PB and I didn't. And then you sit down, in my case then, was with your coach and go, right, what have I learned? What did I need to do differently? Welcome to Inspire By, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story and they have stories that they haven't yet told, not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. to Inspired By. Now, today's guest is the founder of the Transformation Agency. She's an international speaker, award-winning international leader, and a published author. Please welcome Tess Cope to the show. Tess, welcome to the show today. How are you? Thank you. I'm really good. Still getting used to those uh, ways of introducing me, but yeah, really well. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Good. No problem. And yeah, we all, we all sometimes get those things and we're like, that person just sounds really great. Is that is that me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and obviously, you've been an inspiration to many throughout your career, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And recently, a winner of the Queens of Business Inspirational Year Leader of the Year Award. So congratulations Thank for that you. as well. Thank you. That was a real delight, surprise and privilege. Um, not least because it was mostly voted for by clients, mm. which always makes it feel even more special. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. Fabulous. No problem. Well, we, we may have awarded it to you, but we weren't the ones who voted. So we don't get the chance to do that. That's left to the public. So fantastic result Thank for you, you there. Now, Tess, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about inspiration today. And we're going to talk a lot about your history and your success. But at this podcast, we're quite different. We don't like to go into the wins and the successes. We like to know the person behind the success. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about Tess Cope before the world you live in now. Wow. Um there's so many layers, as there is for all of us, to be fair. So that's not unique to me. Um, a few layers that I tend to talk about is, well, first of all, I'm Irish. Uh, moving to England from a very small country of Ireland was a phenomenal shock. <laughs> um, let me put that in real terms. When you, when you walk around any city, including my motherland, um, everyone kind of knows each other and you nod and you might even speak. And so you know them or you know mm -hmm. their cousin or you know their mother or, you know, everyone knows everyone. Mm -hmm. And so there's two sides of that. It's like everyone's business is everyone's business. Yep. <laughs> but the positive uh, is that, you know, there's a real sense of community. I mean, I first moved to England. It was a really big deal because I was for the first time in my life, it's like, oh, my goodness, it felt like if I fell over in the street, no one would actually stop to lift me up. Mm. And I thought, what on earth have I done? <laughs> so that was like a really big kind of growing up uh, part mm. of life. So um, Irish and there's lots of things that come with that. But this sense of community is a central piece. Mm. 
Um, I'm a grafter. So hard work ethic is core to my family DNA. Um, you know, one of the phrases that would come in my family, put in the work and, you know, you'll, you'll get the rewards. Money doesn't grow on trees. You have to yeah. work for what you get. Mm. Um, so that's very much sitting in, you know, how I operate in the world. And thankfully, my husband is the same. So we, we share that philosophy and pass it on to future generations. Um, so, you know, I genuinely feel like I've, al although there's a bit of me that goes, is that really me that you've just spoken about? I know I've worked blinking hard mm. to get to this space in life. And there have been, you know, you you um, heard me share some of my story last year mm. in the community that we're a part of together. And um, my talk was entitled The Roller Coaster of Entrepreneurship. Um, but the roller coaster isn't just about entrepreneurship, it's about life. And I really feel like I've ridden a few roller coasters <laughs> on the way. So yeah, hard work and, you know, being intentional has been a real part of that. And and this is one of the things that I love about being a part of a community, leaning on people around us, mm. I think is, is really key. And I've previously not been very good at asking for help. So this hard work, you know, machine, which is a little bit around, you know, entering mm. the the UK in the way that I did. It was like my success formula was just work hard, keep your head down and keep going. And I wasn't so good at being open and vulnerable and asking for help. But that's been part of my learning edge, mm. which I now help others with, which is ironic, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it's often the way, isn't it? Isn't it just us? I was just about to say, most of the time we do learn things that we've learned ourselves because we we actually remember them, first of all, and we've had yeah. the pain, you'd often remember it. Yep. And then we tend to continue to live those lessons when we're training others, we're, we're saying something, we're going, I need to take my own advice again. You know, I've forgotten this part of my journey. Absolutely. And, and that's the, often part of our journey. Now you talk about us being in a community, I'm a huge fan of community and I can really relate to coming from quite a small town because being from Jersey in the Channel Islands, yes. you know, less than 100,000 people, nine miles by five. It's quite small. <laughs> and you can probably relate to that as well, as Definitely. you mentioned in your story. So how has community paid, played a part in your success and your, your journey so far? Um, one, one of the things that I... With the benefit of hindsight, of course, mm -hmm. um, I, I look back and I realize what's really helped me at different stages is having people to lean on, you know, having what I call finding your tribe of people that have got a shared philosophy. When I first moved to England, one of the uh, at that point in my life, I was a competitive runner. So for me, running was more important. Athletics running, running on the track was more important than work. It was more important than dare I say it almost anything else so that's that single-minded kind of um, piece again um, and so the first thing I did is I found a running club I find training partners I find a coach mm -hmm. I find people that believed in me and you know we cheered each other on so it showed up in lots of different dimensions of life and that was the mm -hmm. first one when I moved here and um, the other thing around community I think you What's really helpful is to find people around you that will really stretch you. So, of course, there's a beautiful part of having the cheerleading, the sponsorship, the encouragement. Um, and I think some of the best communities also give you good provocation. Mm -hmm. You know, the good dig in the ribs that you sometimes need. Um, and so from a running point of view, one of the things I did is I find lots of guys to train with. 
so that they would stretch me to the next level in my category. So most wow. of my training partners were 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 guys, mm. um, decathletes, hurdlers, rowers, and I was an eight hundred meter runner. So they're doing different disciplines, but at you know at a high level. Mm. So I was constantly feeling stretched. So in my you know as early as that community, I really thought hard about finding the right people that give me not just the positive stuff, mm. but the really helpful <laughs> kick up provocation the ass. <laughs> and kick up the ass when, <laughs> when I need, need it, it as well. You know, and yeah. if I even think about that in a work context, way before I launched my business in 2010, some of my best experiences have been tough feedback mm. with the benefit of hindsight. Not necessarily <laughs> at the time. I was sharing just last week, I went back to one of um, the organisations that I'd been in for a long time and they'd asked me to share a talk for International Women's Day and to share my journey. And I'd been in the group for 16 years in total before I went independent. Um, and one of the things that I shared was when I look back, linking to the community piece, some of my line managers were really tough but they actually helped me develop the quickest. Mm. Um, so one of the pieces of feedback I got is, wow, this Irish girl, she's a year into living in England at this point, by the way. <laughs> so I'm still kind of figuring things out. Just, you're a bit rough around the edges. We'll call you our rough diamond, but we're going to give you a shot. Um, mm. So the, I think the other thing about community is being able to be honest and having mm -hmm. people around you that will tell you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. Yeah. So yeah, I think community has lots of aspects to it. Yeah, it's, it's really viable you mentioned that though because there is a piece of a lot of communities where they don't want to be honest because yeah. they're like, oh, if I tell Tess that, she won't like me anymore. Yeah. And for me, community, I don't know if you agree, is not necessarily about being friends and like best buddies and having, you know, if I can speak so brutally and say, you know, up each other's asses. It's about actually being what you need at yes. that time. And yeah. like you say, giving giving yourself a nudge, giving yourself a kick, but also having that honesty. And I, I love the fact that those communities haven't always been just female orientated. You talked about there, you're, you were always looking at people who were above you or more yeah. successful in that area. And you actually found a lot of them were men. So how, how have you found that test in your career? Have you noticed that often you're looking up to people who have achieved it that are maybe men and actually learning from them as well? Um, I'd say the people that have really developed me have been a mix of both. Mm. <clears throat> I think the thing that would join them together, though, is the characteristics of honesty and an ego that's not overinflated. Yeah. And we, we know you have to be choiceful of finding those people, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> yeah. You know, the right level of ego. I think, mm. you know, I think we also need to be careful that we don't make ego a bad thing because mm. that can compel and drive us. But when it's inflated and it's all about yeah. me or them, um, then it's really unhealthy. And so I, I've I've had mentors and you know people around me you know in in a variety of settings that with the benefit of hindsight I can look back and go my goodness I've learned so much from you an example again I shared this in my um my my piece last week and I still can't believe I had the audacity <laughs> to do this but uh, in the same organization I just mentioned a moment ago you know, rough around the ages, as I've just explained, you know, like this driver, this woman on a mission and her success formula is just get your head down and go. 
And um, I was going for a promotion in this organization. So I'm relatively early in. And you, it's a very sophisticated and an organization that I got loads of value from, hence staying 16 years. Mm. And um, you you got quite an intellectual brief as part of the interview process for this job that I thought I really want to go for. And this courageous, maybe blindsided person, i.e. me, <laughs> I rocked up to the top floor of the building and I knocked on the door of the CEO. <laughs> I can't still quite believe I did that. And let me let me paint a picture of the CEO. He's, he's not a very um, large man in terms of his height, but in terms of his aura and his presence, he was huge and phenomenal in the sector. This is the magazine publishing industry. Wow. Phenomenal, you know, completely drove the value in the supply chain of how product got to market, not just in the UK, but globally. So he really was a leading light in the industry. Of course, I didn't know the magnitude of his brilliance, but I knew he was like a very self-contained, a very, you know, astute man who you didn't see walking around the building. <laughs> he sat in his office and he did his thing. Um, so he's very private, very intense. And there I am in my naivety coming from a place where everyone knows everyone. <laughs> so that was pretty normal to me. And before I knew it, I'd knocked on the door and uh, his name was Jeff. And I said, I've got this interview and I've no idea what I'm going to talk about. But I know that you have been here for a long time and this is clearly something that, you know, would you mind helping me? Wow. <laughs> and I have to say, going back to some people just leave their ego to one side. Mm -hmm. He spent an hour with me, completely unprompted no meeting in the diary <laughs> which is of course what you would normally do for a CEO and I know that <laughs> he spent an hour with me and thankfully I got the job but this was the feedback where the rough diamond piece came wow and I got a gorgeous handwritten letter from him afterwards I'm really proud of you that you've landed this one wow I'll never forget that Never forget that. So valuable. So I think, yeah, regardless of what gender, if the ego can be put to one side and you can have mm -hmm. a philosophy of let's set people up for success, which is core to my why, um, then I think we can learn loads. Wow. And do you know what I find really interesting about that, Tess, is that both of us went, oh, no, you didn't. Well, actually... Why couldn't you? Yeah. You know, let's play devil's advocate. I'm a massive believer in if you don't ask, you don't get. Yes. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that wanted to do that, but thought, oh, no, I can't. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, and, and the ego, which is obviously keeping us alive, by the way, the ego is is trying to going, no, Tess, you can't do that. Why, why would you possibly do that? How, what will he think? What will he say? Yes. Actually, he was very grateful. And <laughs> let's be honest, part of what he taught you probably did help you get that job, if 100%. not the majority of it. Absolutely. So what do you think we can learn from Tess back then to bring into our now to have more of that polite audacity to yeah. actually ask for that and go and get what we want? Um, I think the biggest thing is to not let that internal noise, that narrative, that little voice that goes, who are you to knock on that door or whatever the narrative might be, is to kind of acknowledge it, understand that it's probably there to keep you safe, to keep mm. you contained, to keep you um, protected in some way. So there's a good intention behind it. Mm. But also be able to set that aside and go, what's the worst thing that could happen, number one? And two, if I think about how I enter this conversation, I don't need it to be an unsafe scenario. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've been contemplating on since I did that talk, and I reminded myself of this young naive, <laughs> 
ballsy <laughs> Irish woman. Do you know what? I want to bring some of her yeah, back. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I, I just wrote about this in um, uh, every Sunday morning. I do a Sunday morning musing post I put on LinkedIn, which is my main profile for the work that I do. And it's called Sunday Morning Musings. And I, and I talked about we can go back and reclaim the parts of ourselves that for whatever reason we've left behind. Mm. And so, yeah, I declared I'm going back to reclaim that courageous part of me I love that, that sometimes gets quietened down too much. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there are many people listening and watching that will be thinking, what part of myself do I want to come and claim back? And I love the word claim there because mm. it's not like we have to fight for it back. No. It's in our, it's there. It, we've had it before. And if we've had it before, we can have it again. Yes. So that's a really, really fascinating piece there. Now, obviously <clears throat> from your story that I know which we'll talk about a little bit in a second as to how I know your story so well. Yes. Obviously publishing books and things, but a lot of your story has come to being courageous, you know, starting your business, 2010, I believe yeah. you started your business. So what was the story behind that? What what made you want to take the leap into entrepreneurship, which as you've rightly said multiple times, is quite a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the simple version is, when I'm, bearing in mind the 16 years I mentioned earlier, and a big chunk of that was working what I would call in the business, sales, marketing, mm -hmm. logistics, in the magazine publishing industry, predominantly, not exclusively, but mainly in that arena. Um, and halfway through that period, another interview process got me um, pulled over to um put myself forward for learning and development in HR, never had been on my radio, radar previously. And once I landed in those roles, I thought, this is where I'm going to stay. And I knew probably within a year of moving into learning and development, not only did I know that this is what created the fire on my belly, I also knew at some point I would go independent. Wow. Um, and so one of the things that's really kind of central to my value set is flexibility and being able to learn from lots of different places, mm -hmm. but also to carry those learnings and share them you know, in different spaces. Mm. So um, I'm not very good when I feel too constrained. Yeah, I, You know, I can do it for a while and I can do it for a good reason, but I really need that freedom and that flexibility. So I set about, this sounds really crazy, but, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, I need to have a long range plan in my line of sight. Doesn't need to be detailed, but mm. I need to have a sense of direction. So having decided I would at some point go independent, um, I then spent the next nine years gathering what I felt I needed to have in my gift and my experience, whether that's roles or trainings or, you know, the, the confidence. Um, and one of the things that I felt was really important was working internationally and being able to work toe to toe with what I call really senior people. Classically, for me, that's the C-suite, your CEOs, CFOs, etc. So I needed to feel like I'd been in the seat of the leader myself mm. in order to feel that I could stand toe to toe and have a real conversation at that level. And so I moved myself through a variety of experiences very intentionally. Um, and then in 2010, um, when I got what I had seen as that last step, Mm -hmm. um, I, the way I phrase that stage in, in my journey is I cut the umbilical cord. Mm. And and, then, and that's when I decided, right, now I'm ready to fly. I'm ready to launch this thing. But I spent quite a bit of time preparing. Mm. Um, so I spent at least a year what I would call warming up the sector and potential clients so that when I handed in the brown envelope, as some people call it, 
um, I'd already got six months of work secured. Wow. So I felt safe. I felt, mm. you know, I'd got some stuff in place and I'd already recruited my successor to take the job that I was leaving. So I felt really good about how I was leaving. Um, and I'd been preparing for it, knowing that that independent piece um, mm. was really important to me. What a strategic way of doing it though, Tess, as well, because we both come across a lot of entrepreneurs in our circles. I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs and yes. I see a lot of people take the leap too soon. Now, from my experience, I didn't get the choice. I got made redundant and then yes. it was a case of now. And I had similar started planning, but not enough planning. Hines, that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. But I see a lot of people that go, do you know what? I'm just going to quit my job and start a business. And I'm like, no, 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 slow down. Get yourself ready. Yes. And, you know, the concept of ready is, you know, when are you actually ready? Mm. But was there a particular moment where you said, if I hit this point with my preparation, I'll take the leap? Or was it just a feeling? It was probably a mixture of things. So um, it was a mixture of having got enough work lined up uh, because coincidentally, the year that I handed in the brown envelope was the year my husband and I also got married. So wow. it was like, holy smokes, was his conversation. <laughs> Why this year when we've just agreed to do this big wedding thing? It's like, you have to trust me. Yeah. I have enough work secured in order to feel like it's the right time. Mm. So there was a kind of a feeling of from all the conversations that I've been having that there is enough work out there when I've created enough visibility and I've told people I'm coming. So not only had I secured work, but I could feel that there was more in the pipeline. So there was a sense of security from that point of view. Um, so that's both practical and a sensation. Um, and then you know, I, I really believe there will be a time when you just know it's the right moment. And for me, that was about a change in the CEO, which was the critical relationship in my HR director role. Thought mm. rather than me stay and start a new relationship, this is the moment for my successor to come in and set up that new relationship, which means that it's the right time for me to move. Yeah. So it was a combination of those things, I yeah. think. And also a good opportunity <clears throat> as well for you to then go, actually, this is a great opportunity for me to say, now's my time to, yes. to step to step onwards. Now, Tess, I find your story fascinating because there's been, whether or not listeners can tell it yet, there's been a lot of similarities in your experiences with, you know, moving around and striving for more. And it's interesting you mentioned about your athletic backgrounds. Yes. Because a lot of, we train up a lot of people in entrepreneurship and it's usually the athletes or someone with a competitive background that are the most successful. Interesting. And from what I've learned from my research of interviewing lots and lots of people and mentoring thousands of people on it, is it's the element of being able to handle the rejection. Yes. And I find a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with the rejection because they don't like being told no, whether it's in a sale, whether it's in a yes. job, whether it's in a client. <laughs> How would you say your experience as an athlete in training in there has helped you on that entrepreneurship roller coaster? Uh, well, it's it's definitely helped me um, in a number of ways. I would say one of the things that it's definitely helped me as a bedrock is a discipline. Because when you're, I was very privileged to be competing for Northern Ireland and I got into the Commonwealth Games kind of squad. And wow. so to, to, to get to that level, you need to be, you know, doing a lot of training and you have, have to have the discipline. You know, I was training six days a week, five of those days, twice a day, 
And as I said already, with guys that were really pushing me quite hard. Mm. So the discipline, definitely, because you kind of have to get yourself back on track really quickly. And when that's in your DNA, okay, I didn't win that race or I came second and I thought I was going to get a PB and I didn't. So that's like kind of part of the normal process of learning. Mm. And then you sit down, in my case then, was with your coach and go, right. What have I learned? What did I need to do differently? What was the strategy that didn't work? We said we would go in the second lap. I went too early, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So kind of putting the laser on, right, let's review that. Let's learn from it. And now we need to get back into training for the next one. So that discipline of going again mm. uh, was definitely part of it. Don't get me wrong. There were some races I really felt knocked sideways by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some lovely ups and, um, you know, some real kind of great moments and seeing some fantastic athletes. Athletes, but there was definitely a few big knocks mm. um and to to the rejection um piece i so the way i enter conversations with clients and potential clients um, and this is just what works in my mind. So I'm not saying this will work for everyone. I think about going in to have a great conversation. I don't think about right, I'm going in to sell or I'm going in to pitch. I genuinely start from a place of let's really understand where they're at. And I think mm. that comes through in the way I listen and the way we have the conversation. And then very naturally, it becomes very obvious. Is this the right moment? Is this the right moment for the client? Is there need such that I can help with? And it might not be now. It might not be today. And so mm. I think that's how I hold the rejection. It's a maybe not at this point, mm. but we don't need to cut off the relationship just because the need isn't there. And so again, I'll come back to keeping that warm. Mm. Um, and, and one of the things, and I think it comes back to community again, one of the things that I know I'm good at is I'm good at staying in touch with people. I just keep nurturing the relationship and that's really served me well from a very genuine place. Yeah. You know, I really care. That's also the long-term piece that you've mentioned because, you know, when you're doing athletics, I mean, I'm definitely not an athlete. Please don't ask me to run any <laughs> any metres, let alone half of what you can run. But it's not that, you know, there's a phrase, you can't run a marathon overnight. Yes. Whereas I think a lot of people come into the entrepreneur space or even a leadership space, let's be honest, a lot of leaders are promoted into leadership roles from my experience before the training, before yes. the skills. And they expect themselves and they, they're expected by others to run before they can walk. Yeah. Now, for that, which I think is fascinating, what you've shared is, is about that long-term focus. And when I, when I run events, when I have people on my podcast, when I'm speaking to people, when I'm selling to people, I'm the same. I'm like, it might not be a no, it's a not now. And it might be a, you know, let's just have fun with this person. That's yes. how I approach it is like, how can I have fun with the person? How can I play with them? How can I enjoy the moment yes. and, and help them? Now, you obviously work with a lot of leaders in your industry and you've been in business for quite some time. What have you learned from the leaders that you've either coached or you've been around? Mm. What what wisdom or what inspiration have you had from them on your journey? Oh my God, there's loads. <clears throat> um, and as we said earlier, I quite often find myself sitting opposite a coaching client going, I am talking to myself. <laughs> this is the version of me that needs the coaching as much as the person that's there. Yeah. Um, and, and I often find that the, coach, the coachees, the clients show up where we've got as much learning to do as them. And so it's, there's a bit about being humble, I think, mm. in there. Um, what else have I learned? Oh, my goodness, there's so many things. Patience. 
um, you know, this striving individual who locks onto a long-term target, mm. I eat me. <laughs> um, I've learned along the way that sometimes you have to go sideways before you can go up. Mm. And that's as relevant in my career, my as in working, you know, in organizations. Um, you know, I moved from marketing exec to um, a regional sales manager to a sales planner to a logistics expert before I could go up. Mm. And, and really kind of, you know, being humble enough to hear the feedback and recognize where you still have some edges to work on. So that's definitely a learning. Mm. And that's as relevant in, in our entrepreneurial journey. You know, we might be, for example, we may be very comfortable to reach out to clients and potential clients, but how we show up in there might be the bit of work yeah. that we need to do. You know, we can go to one extreme or the other. We can be too bubbly and energetic and not attending to, does that style work for them? Mm. <laughs> so we could be in our own bubble and actually, how do we find that place of being emotionally intelligent enough to go, what's right for this client? What's yeah. right for this conversation? And how do I how do I tailor and adjust as opposed to I'm going to be me, whatever. Mm. Well, the version of me, whatever might not be right for them. And so being able to kind of be humble enough, tune in and figure out the nature of my conversation might not be different, but the amount of energy and the way I bring it might need to be fundamentally different. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely something about patience, something about being intelligent enough to tune into how I uh, and, you know, members of my team show up. Um, and I think that the other one is, I, I mentioned before, is thinking longer term rather than each conversation doesn't need to be a deal breaker. Yeah. because we put too much pressure on ourselves <laughs> don't we yeah and there's so much stuff outside of our comfort zone yeah. as well or, or even outside of our control yes. you know we can have the best plan in the world we both we joked off off screen that how much planning we both are and we're very good in structure yes. and organization but we can have the best plans in the world and then something totally unexpected can come over and change it all and actually we've all lived and breathed that in the last few years 23rd of march 2020 <laughs> you know we, we both talked about this it's <clears throat> covid lockdown for both of us I run running in-person events you're running corporate training in person in as a leadership in businesses both of which overnight yeah vanished so that I imagine was part of your roller coaster how did you get through that how were you feeling at that time um I think it's fair to say I went from in a very short space of time you know, all the noise in the media leading up to 23rd of March, of course, we're all wondering. And um, the the organizations that I typically work with, they are really alert to what's happening globally because most of my clients are global. So I could hear the rumblings and I was still in conversations with clients, but they weren't locking down any activity for a few months prior to 23rd of March. So I find myself on the 23rd of March, in theory midway through some conversations of things that could be secured mm. at your business to realizing here we are actually there's nothing going to be secured and there's nothing that's happened for the last three months um so you know a really big vacuum and um it really was a bit of an oh shit factor <laughs> excuse my French <laughs> um and so it took you know it took a while to kind of really dial in well what does this mean and and there was a lot of evaluation going on and simultaneous to that um one of our children who wasn't living at home anymore she just got this out of nowhere this series of panic attacks um 
never before experienced and um she as you know as any kid will do they go straight to the bed and say I'm really struggling and of course as any good set of parents would do will come home mm. um, and so we brought Holly home and her little boy home and so the nature of the family setup was also overnight completely wow. changed transformed and I really thought hard about I started with well let's get the family sorted and I'll think about in the background what I do with the business because at the end of the day for me at least family is is number one um, and so what I set about doing probably helped from my running background and the discipline and, you know, the, the, the care around health. So I, let's get a routine set up that mm. allows Holly and her little boy, Harry, to kind of hum, have some kind of positivity in the day to at least quieten down the anxiety and the panic attacks. And so we did the Joe Weeks workout every morning, no, um, much to their horror. <laughs> Um, and I wasn't super fit, but I was, you know, fitter than than they would have been. And so we did that every morning. Um, and then we added in a plank challenge and, you know, I was doing my horses. And so kind of getting some of the, the architecture of the day set up. So it felt like a positive environment. Mm. And luckily in the UK, at least, we had gorgeous weather as well, didn't we? Yeah. So we were able to get outside of the house and so not being on top of each other. Mm. So once we got that set up, then I said, right, what the heck am I going to do from the business point of view? And of course, we're like two or three weeks. My clients weren't up for conversations in those weeks anyway, because they were thinking about how do we get our employees home? How do we get them set up with laptops or computers and the mm -hmm. right kind of desk set up? And, you know, what about Zoom or are we on Teams? And all of that gubbins clearly was, you know, the focal point. Mm -hmm. So talking about what I was doing, what I offer really wasn't priority, coaching, team development, etc. Yes, of course, it's still important, but it wasn't priority. Exactly. So I utilized those weeks to get the house, to get the structure of my day set up and then sit with, right, where, where do I go from here? Yeah. Um, and so I did a number of things. It's actually really interesting, uh, Tess, that you mentioned that because obviously we've spoken about your story before and I've seen you on stage and we've written in books together which we'll talk about later a lot of it you credit to the foundations of your personal life first yes and then your professional life second like you just mentioned now if I may I'd love to talk a little bit more about your experience as a parent going through your daughter having yeah. challenges with anxiety and panic attacks because from many of our listeners know and our viewers know my background all started because I had mental illnesses I was struggling with depression and anxiety had depression first when I fixed that the anxiety kicked in because I was paranoid about it coming right. back so and I've always found it interesting to see it from the parents' perspective because I know my mum struggled not being able to fully help because she wanted to help so much. Yeah. And funny enough, I went back home in the same <clears throat> regard. So what was your experience like with that, with Holly? And, and how did you feel you were able to support her through that? Again, so many layers. Mm -hmm. um, the first, I think the, the, the most important thing was I... So uh, I'll just do a little bit of context first. So whenever I met Gary, there was already three children of which Holly is one in the equation. So I inherited an 11, 12 and 14 year old. Wow. Um, and Holly is the youngest of those three. Um, and this is quite some time later when um, the kids had already moved out, when they were living with us. So we're very much a family unit. Um, and so my relationship, I really consciously chose what kind of relationship 
do I have and what place do I have because I'm not their mother and I didn't want to try and replace their mother because the mother is still alive and absolutely will always be in that place in the family. And this is something that you know I'm very present to because of the way in which I work. I do a lot of what I call systemic work. So going quite deep and into the family system because it plays through in everything that we do. Yeah. And so I was really attuned to being very careful around how I set myself up in terms of the relationship. So that context is quite important to answer your question mm -hmm. then around how how could I be available for Holly from my place. Mm -hmm. um, and the way I would describe our relationship is like a much older sister or like an aunt. So that's the kind of relationship. And, and we have a beautiful relationship. I'm very fortunate. Wow. Because 11 and 12 and 14 year olds can be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so with that backdrop in mind, um, when Holly reached out and, you know, declared where she was at, um, as is always the case with my husband, Gary and I, we will have a really deep conversation, the two of us, as to, you know, what do we feel is the right thing to do? And we get really aligned before we would then share it with the children. Um, and bearing in mind, she's an adult at this stage, but we still call them the children. Yes. Um, and so I said to Gary, well, from my point of view, fundamentally, we need to open the house and invite her home. She might not want to take the offer and then we'll have to think about how we can support her differently. Um, but yeah, it was a very easy, yes, please, you know, come back to the, the bosom of the family space um, so that she could feel safe and she could have us around her. And then, of course, I talked about putting in, you know, a, a rhythm to the day. Mm. Um, beyond that kind of structure that was intentionally trying to put some positivity in and I don't know if you ever saw any of the Joe Wicks workouts but um, Joe Wicks had this thing where he was doing every other day he would kind of be having a quiz built into the workout where you had to think about what's the capital of Kazakhstan and you know all of these weird, weird and random and so we would always have a bit of a laugh as well as we were doing this workout and a bit hot and sweaty and swearing as part of the process so I thought right let's get that in and then we put in or we have breakfast together then we come together for lunch and then we have dinner together so just trying to kind of put some order in that felt it got some continuity and security to it mm. with lots of spaces and we're very lucky we've got a really large garden so they could go outside in the space in between um, but beyond that from but more from an emotional standpoint then it was you know just sitting down with Holly and making sure that she knew she could speak to us. She knew she could kind of lay out where she was at. And she did have a couple of panic attacks while she was with us. And and, and the very literal thing is I just hugged her and I just got her to breathe. And I, we, we literally breathed together through it to kind of get her whole nervous system back into regulation. I couldn't speak about it from a, from, you know, from a physician point of view, but from a human who could see somebody who was struggling to breathe, I really just held her and let her know that we were here mm -hmm. and bring her back to get her feet on the ground to talk about, it's okay, we're here, nothing's gonna happen, you're safe. You know, though the things that your body needs to hear to calm everything down again. And so there was a series of those that happened over the time and what was going to be a three week stint turned it into like almost a year. <laughs> so, you know, that consistency and security of knowing she could come home and, and be fed to be looked after mm. 
I think at every point in our life, we we are the child. Mm. And it's knowing that there's going to be somebody there for you to put your arm around you mm. and give you a hug or tell them that you love them or, or feel like you're cared for genuinely. Yeah. You know, she was the youngest of the three children when, when her parents split. Um, and so she was always going to be the one that potentially was the most vulnerable mm. because she was the, you know, she was only eight Wow. Um, when her parents went separate ways. So mm. we always knew that if anything showed up, it would probably show up through Holly. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we're very mindful of that, not just then, but also today. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And she's so fortunate to have someone like yourself for Gary and also that she had that space that she could come back down to because what I've seen a lot of is people who are struggling with any sort of challenge there, whether it's, you know, with their mental fitness, whether yeah. it's depression, anxiety, bipolar, anything. It is the community around them, like we talked about earlier, the family. And a lot of people need the hug, but don't know who to ask for yes. the hug. And we talked about it earlier with your journey was that actually sometimes being so driven and being so uh, so much of a grafter, it's hard to ask for help. Yeah. Obviously, it was fantastic that she felt that she could ask for help to come to you, which is an estimate to yourself and the family you've all created. How has that been in your own career, though, whether it's in your business, whether it's been in when you were in the, in the corporate world? How easy did you find it to ask for help when you needed it? Very difficult. Um, and that's being really frank and honest. Mm. And it, it, it has been. And I, I think, you know, as I move through, it's the thing I have to work hardest on. Um, I had a real real kind of defining moment in my own leadership that brought this front and center which then meant I went on to do my what I would call my own work I needed to kind of do some of my own stuff mm. in order to work through how I was presenting this tough exterior driven woman on a mission thing that serves me to some degree but is also my Achilles heel mm. but the way it showed up and which is why I use the word Achilles heel is um, so I was responsible for a team. And um, what I find out indirectly is a member of my team, this is obviously quite a time ago now, um, was really struggling in their personal life, but they didn't feel they could come and talk to me as their line manager. Um, and the story that came back to me through my manager, who they went to, um, and, I, and I, you know, I, I, I don't... Um, I don't have an issue with them doing that because they had to go to a place where they could mm. talk. And for whatever reason, and I know a little bit now what the reason was, why they didn't feel that they come to me, is the phrase that they shared was, Tessa's got her shit together. I can't possibly go to her. Wow. She's so got her shit together. That's verbatim. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. That's A, so not true. <laughs> But thanks for thinking. But clearly, <laughs> that's what I'm projecting. Wow. Because, you know, this drive and, and therefore the softer, vulnerable part of me is not so visible. And I thought, whilst some of that will be her helping me, mm -hmm. you know, achieve and drive and make things happen, that's not the kind of leader I want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and so that set me off on my own journey. This is pre-moving into learning and development I mentioned earlier, where I, I've got some work to do because I need to be a lot more rounded and a lot more holistic and more available mm. to be able to have the real conversations, good and bad, yeah. when they arrive. And so um, so I, I did a lot of my own work in unfolding. Where is this coming from? Where is this 
um, reluctance to share my softer, vulnerable side. Um, and, I, you know, I've done a lot of work on that. I know exactly where it's rooted. And, I, you know, I can, I can see it when it comes up because, mm. of course, that's what we do now. You know, it'll, it'll be one of those voices that come up. Mm. And and I can have a conversation, an internal conversation. Where, Actually, I'm not going to listen to this. I want to show up differently than that. Wow! Uh, and therefore, share from a different place. Mm. So yeah, lo- loads of loads of learning, lots of deep work, lots of tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in some of my trainings, we we laugh. Some of my training partners, we talk about there was more tears and snot in that <laughs> year of training than there was anything else. Um, and so I've got more comfortable mm-hmm. with that. And because I'm more comfortable with it in myself, that's a real part of the strength that I have when I'm working with really senior leaders who are lonely, challenged, depressed, mm. maybe having panic attacks, I'm more accessible and they can bring their real selves mm. into the conversation yeah. because they can't do it often in their work setting. So they need in the coaching space somewhere where they can unpack and mm. get unlocked and understand where this, whatever this rumbling is is coming from or what's happening. Mm. And so, hence my comment earlier, I'm quite often looking in the mirror, so that yeah. was me. <laughs> yeah. That's actually it, a phrase I always reflect back on, Tess, is I think it's fantastic in that situation that you did put up the mirror because a lot of people would go, well, how dare that person not come to me? How dare they think I've got my shit together? How, how, and blame, blame, blame. When actually I'm a massive believer as a leader, whether you're a podcast or a speaker, a business leader, CEO, with your team, with your clients, it's about looking in your mirror and going, how did I create that? Yes. How did I enable that or give off that impression? Mm. And obviously we are going to talk about it later on, but you've done a lot of deep work and you've shared a lot of that in books and in on stages, obviously you're a published author. So tell tell me about your first book and then we'll come on to some more recent book projects that we've been talking about. Mm. So my first book um, got published because of the space of covid so whilst there were many challenging things around the roller coaster of COVID, this is mm-hmm. one of the real positives for me. Um, because I'd been wanting to do it for a while, but I had this little story in my head. I haven't got enough time to do that. And I wasn't really sure I could could do it, if I'm honest. But I could hide behind that I haven't got time. <laughs> and then, of course, COVID presented this big wadge of space. <laughs> Thank you, COVID, for the time that I don't have. <laughs> um, and so as part of that evaluation I talked about earlier, I thought, you know, this this is the moment for me to, if I'm going to do it, this is the moment to do it. Um, and so one of the things that I did, which uh, was hugely both fulfilling, but also commercially savvy with the benefit of hindsight is I thought I'm going to use this space to have conversations with my potential readers of this book that I wanted to to write. And and the book is, is um, it's called Harness and it's a coaching framework where we talk about the deeper work, the systemic coaching, where we're going right into the both the family system and wow. the organizational system and looking at how those things show up. Um, and Harness is a framework that I created and I distilled it as part of my COVID space. And then I was able to put it together in, in the book. But but one of the things that I did in the lead in to getting the book published is I thought I'm going to use the space to get out and talk to, i.e. do some research 
with people that I'm hoping would be my ideal readers. Um, and so I set up and it was a very, I was astounded in some ways that, you know, when I reached out to a range of people and I probably reached out to about 50, so I'd really love your help in helping me craft my thinking on a book I'm coming, you know, hoping to publish. And almost everyone, probably about at least 80% said, yeah, of course, because they also had space. Wow. <laughs> you know, they're sitting at home in their kitchen working yeah. from home. And it was like a refreshing change to the order of their day. And so I was really lucky I managed to get all of that input. Um, and so knowing what was important to them, because those were some of the questions I was asking about coaching and what would be helpful and what format would you like and what's the right length of book and, you know, do you want frameworks? I was really distilling what works for them. But as part of the conversation, I was always finding out about their world. Mm. What's your context? How are things happening? How are you guys getting on? Is there much coaching? Do you think giving you a coaching framework might help? And that combination of the research and the genuine conversation conversation actually ended up materializing into quite a bit of business mm. that that came out off the back of that research call that got me 50% of the way back to where I'd been pre-COVID. Wow. So again, reinforcing the value of genuine conversations. And then I think the, the other thing that I did that helped me to get the book over the line is I signed up with the book coach. Mm. And um, I'm a real believer from everything that you've heard already. I'm sure you can um, resonate with this on accountability. And so I had a 12-week coaching program. And every week, every Friday morning, I had a call, at which point I would have had to have sent a chapter the night before. Wow. And I had 12 chapters in my first book. And so that really helped me get the first one over the line. And I'm really I'm honoured to be getting such valuable feedback. For me, that's the most important thing. Yeah. It's adding real value to real leaders and real organizations. Mm. And for me, um, yeah, of course, it'd be lovely to have loads of sales, of course, but that's not my driver. Yeah, um, Adding the value is. And I love it, Tess, because I'm, I obviously I run a book publishing business, also yes. act as a book coach for many. And I find it interesting because a lot of people, when they start writing, it's like a tap. Once you turn it on and it really starts going, it's hard to switch off. Yes. You know, and that's why a lot of from one book comes two books, comes three books. And you've obviously recently been in our newest Queens in Business book, which is Embracing Me, which I have a copy of here Yay. for anyone who is interested in having a read of Tess's chapter. Um, Tess, I remember when we were discussing who to have in the book. Queens, we sit down, the co-founders, and look at who do we want to invite in this book? And your name came up into the hat. Obviously, you said yes, which we're very, very grateful for. Now, in the book, you write a lot about your story and you brought, you actually do write about your why in here. Mm. Now, how important was it to you finding your why in, in this journey of entrepreneurship through COVID, through everything? And how much has your why driven you to achieve what you've achieved today? It's central. <clears throat> um, I say a couple of things on, on the why because a lot of what I do with leaders is help them get to their why as well. Mm. Um, as a as a point of resource, as a point of kind of energetic, you know, energy to to get them doing the great jobs that they do. Um, so I think there's a couple of things on the why. A, I think it has to be the starting place. Um, and back to the don't put pressure on too much pressure on yourself. Know that you can have a first draft. 
(laughs) and it may get refined over time. And I've just been doing that very recently as part of the community that we're part of. And so there are various layers of my why, and I'm very happy to share where I've landed in my most recent layer. Um, We we might circle back to what I speak about in the book in a second, but um, where I've got to, um, and, and I foresee, you know, this probably serving me for at least 10 years, this version of my why. Um, and I've already given a hint is about adding real value um, to leaders in business. My, my mission is to positively influence the working lives of 100,000 people. Wow. And so that's about material difference, you know, on the ground mm. in organizations where through the work with leaders, which is the people that I'm working with, it actually has a ripple effect on how people feel around um, their organizations, their sense of purpose. And, um, you know, leadership has such an impact on whether we enjoy our work or whether we don't. Mm. So, so yeah, really clear on my why. And it's it's got layers and it's evolving. Um, and I think it goes in chapters. Mm. And so this is the latest chapter, which this is only the second time, by the way, I've said that publicly. So that feels really special. feels a bit scary as well. Um, But because of the size of the organizations that I work with, 100,000, it's enormous, Mm. but it's not unattainable. So one of the clients that I work with, as an example, at a very senior level, has got 140,000 employees. So if I can, you know, just get some inroads into there and to other places, that feels worth jumping out of bed for. Incredible. I love that you mentioned that's the chapters because where I, I, I've obviously had a lot about, you know, people like Simon Sinek that talk yes. about start with the why. And I read all these sort of books and I was like, my why doesn't feel big enough. You know, I don't have this massive mission back then yes. to inspire all these people. I didn't have this massive mission to have multiple seven figures in the bank account. That just was never my why. Hmm. And I really struggle with it. Whereas I love the fact that you mentioned that, you know, it was, it's the next chapter because for you, you're, you know, you talk about it in the book and we're going to leave it for the book. So you guys can have a read. Um, you talk about what your why was then and how that's now evolved. Yes. And it, that's really, really powerful. I will ensure for any of the viewers and listeners that want to read Embracing Me or even Harness, which is obviously Tessa's first book, then we'll pop a link in the description and the bio. Um, so you guys can obviously have a click, have a read of that and definitely do get inspired by Tess even more. Tessa, it's been amazing to have you on the show. I feel like we've just, the time has just flown by and we are running out of time as, <laughs> as I speak. So I wanted to get an idea. Obviously you were around all these leaders. You've constantly around big circles now and you're playing bigger in the industry, which is fantastic. And I really feel like you're making waves, which is really exciting mm. to see. One of the things we love to do on the show is ask you about who is inspiring you right now. So is there anyone that comes to mind that you think, actually, do you know what, right now, whether it's a celebrity or someone you know, who inspires you right now? Um, There's a few people, but the one I'll speak to at the moment is based on a podcast I listened to a couple of weeks ago, Joe Malone. So um, I I just, uh, and she was being interviewed, I think, uh, by... um, Fish is the name of the podcast, Spencer Matthews. Oh, yes. And it was incredible when I got to understand some of her story, the short version, and I really recommend uh, people finding out a bit more about her. I think we all know what her brand stands for in terms of, you know, the cosmetic, the perfumery, etc. But the bit that inspires me in particular is she set that up phenomenally successfully 
Then um, she sold the business. At the same time, she contracted cancer and had a really tough time. Um, and as part of her recovery, she had to think about, well, what's life all about anymore? I need something to hang on to, to kind of be as a beacon for her to move through that awful period of, of cancer treatment. And she birthed her second business, um, similar sector, but a different brand. Uh, and so you can probably tell the resilience and navigating the legals of not competing with her first company, mm. but being brave enough to still be in the sector and the space, but with a different identity. You know, that takes a lot of bravery, dexterity, and and I suspect a lot of conversations so that she didn't, you know, piss off yeah. the people that she sold her first business for many millions of pounds. Wow. Um, so just that kind of that bounce back and the resilience is phenomenal. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's that's very kind of recent in my brain because I was listening to that podcast a few weeks ago and I, I wasn't aware of that part of her yeah, journey. Me neither. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to see her speaking live about that, actually. So if I get a chance to vote for her to be on any stage, <laughs> I'm going to vote for Jo Let, Malone. Let's make it happen to us. Let's make it happen. Fantastic. Yeah. And final tradition we have on the show. So obviously the show is about being inspired by others. Today we've been inspired by you, which has been thankful so much for you for being here. Who do you know that you believe has an inspiring story that we should hear on the show next? Apart from Jim alone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Um, oh, there's so many. Let me just choose one. Um, Nick feels like the obvious one, but I've got a feeling you might have Nick already on your list. <laughs> Nick James? Yes. Possibly, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> um... Do you know, I think his mum, Nikki V. Why? Because one of the things that inspires me about Nikki is, you know, she was also a very successful corporate player mm. uh, and, you know, had a similar journey to myself, obviously ahead of me in time. And then she's been for a chunk of time, I don't know exactly how long for, but she's been working um, as a coach in Expert Empire's community, yeah. as you as you know, and she hasn't stopped there. So she's been very conscious about stepping out of that and done it very gracefully and respectfully mm. with her husband. And they're now off on a whole new adventure. So they are they are moving into their elder years, their eldership years, mm. where they're still adding immense value back, but in a way that it fits with their lifestyle. So they're traveling, you know, wow. they've temporarily I don't know if they've sold or they're rented but they've packaged themselves up to be mobile moving around the world for the next year Fantastic. and at the same time offering the relationship work that they do um, to couples who really need to spend some time on their relationship so they've got that balance of their life potential mm. going seeing the world whilst keeping work in its right place Beautiful. and yeah and, and that kind of evolution is is just commending i think yeah. yeah very brave well fantastic thank you so much for recommending nikki v let's see what we can make happen for our viewers and our listeners well tess as i've said thank you so much for being here it's been amazing to interview not only an author that is alongside me in our newest book embracing me but also a fellow female entrepreneur who is generally being inspiring to many others thank Thanks. you so much lovely thank you 
no delight. problem. Well, it's been great to have Tess here. As many of you will probably agree if you are watching either on our YouTube channel or on our podcast platforms on all the platforms that you currently listen to. If you are watching on YouTube, do make sure you pop in the comments. We've had loads of golden nuggets shared today. What has been your biggest takeaway from this episode with Tess? And if you're watching on or listening on any of the podcast platforms, do make sure you like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already so that you don't miss our next guest. We'll be back next week with our newest version of Inspired By with our brand new guests. See you then.